thing is doing an overview of all uh, the Gospels. So we've looked at the Gospel according to Mark, uh, the Gospel according to Matthew and Luke. Um, and now we get to John. So the first three uh, books that we looked at uh, were uh, the Gospels were called the Synoptic Gospels, mean, meaning similar. They're very similar, very, very, very uh, how they're written, more chronological, um, had similar stories. And then you kind of have the, the Gospel of John, which is kind of an outlier. Most of the, of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of look at Jesus' life and just kind of have a small window towards the last couple chapters on the end of his life. Well, John is different. John, chapter 13, halfway through his, his gospel, is the end of Jesus' life. So the, the, the end of Jesus' life is kind of highlighted uh, right there at the end. I'm just going to read um, the first uh, 18 verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into studying this wonderful gospel. Uh, hear God's word, uh, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that in the beginning you was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God, we are so grateful that you have given us the eternal word in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that if anyone believes in him, that we can become children of God. Uh, Father, before Christ came, we had no truly idea who Christ was, or who God was, and then you have revealed him in uh, the person of the Lord Jesus. Uh, So, dear God, I pray that as we study this wonderful gospel, that you would allow us to savor, um, to rejoice, uh, to hold dear, even more so, uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts and open our eyes to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you were going to do a survey of great theologians in the history of the Christian church, almost all of the great theologians, the great thinkers that we've ever had, have loved the Gospel of John. It's one of those books that has has kind of radically transformed uh, the whole uh, Christian uh, landscape. 
Now, John is a, is, a, is a little bit different because most of the other Gospels were written right around the same time period. Jesus died, was crucified, and rose again in AD 33. Uh, and then you had a couple of letters written. Uh, and then you had uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke written right around the same time period, probably mid-55 uh, A.D., mid-50s, all the way to early 60s. So during, those, during the years when the church was really starting to grow. Uh, and then you have the Gospel of John, which was probably written about 20 years later. Uh, John was probably written in, in, the, in the late um, to mid-80 A.D., maybe as early as the 90 A.D., uh, now, the reason why that, that, that's significant is because there's a lot of uh, modern scholars who will say the Gospel of John wasn't written uh, during that period uh, because of some of the influences, some of the language. They think it was actually written by a uh, Johannine community, a community that followed the Elder John, who, who followed the Apostle John and put some of his ideas into, into words and, and then delivered it as his Gospel around the second century. Well, we don't think that is true. Uh, we think that the Gospel of John was written by John, John, John the Elder. Uh, there's several things that we, that we see as we, as, we, as we trace the internal evidence. Thank you very much. Um, as we trace the internal evidence, the internal evidence really says there's only two people that could be, uh, it has to be one of the twelve, okay, because it says that the, uh, during the Last Supper, okay, that the apostle who wrote this Gospel was one of those uh, twelve. And the only one who was uh, named John was John. <laughs> not, not, not rocket science here. Um, now, John didn't have a title. So just says the, uh, the gospel according to John. It doesn't say John the Baptist uh, or even John the Elder. Now, John is also the author of, of four other books in the New Testament, First, Second, and Third John, and the book of, of Revelation. Um, all these things, were, all these books were put together, together by him. So John didn't put his last name because he didn't need to. Uh, in the early church, there really only was one John. Um, because of uh, his reputation, he didn't need to put a last name there. Uh, he probably wrote it when he was in Ephesus. Uh, so he probably put it, put it together in Ephesus, like I said, in the, the mid to the late 80s. Um, now, where it was written, it was probably written to the people of Ephesus. Uh, but it was probably written for a very broad, general, universal audience. Remember how each of the different Gospels kind of had a different emphasis, where Mark was really focused on uh, Gentiles, Luke was really kind of focused on the, the Theophilus, but really this idea of the, how do we care for the poor. Matthew was focused on probably Christians or, or a Jewish audience. John is a general audience. This is, I think, why John's appeal is so broad. So uh, in my training, uh, when I was in college, the Campus Crusade for Christ, they said when you disciple a new believer, read the Gospel of John. It's always the one that people always go to because it's universal in scope. Uh, I think John's emphasis was probably to the, the Jews, the Jewish believers who were, who were followers of Christ, spread out through all uh, Asia, Asia Minor. Primarily in Ephesus, but then those who, who were spread out. Now, why is this book written? Uh, anytime that we, we look at a book, we have to ask, what is the purpose? Why is this book written? So if you have your Bibles, turn to the last to return to John chapter 20, John chapter 20. Uh, John gives us the reason in this book. So John chapter 20, verse 30. John 20, verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs, it's a very specific word in John, 
in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs that are written in this book are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Just stop right there. Let's look, look at these kind of ideas, why this book was written. Uh, first of all, we know that John did not include everything that Jesus did. He only included some of the signs of Jesus. And we'll see that in the first um, half of, of this gospel. But these, bo- these, these words were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's a theological knowledge, right, that we, we want to know who the person of Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the promised uh, seed of Abraham, the promised son of David. He is the Messiah. He is God. One of the, the, the main um, attacks against Jesus uh, it's really two attacks in the history of the Christian church, is that people will attack Jesus Christ's humanity. So they'll try to say he's not human, right? He's not man, or he's not God. Those are kind of like the two main attacks against the Lord Christ. Well, John here is trying to emphasize the, uh, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And... You would believe in him, not just that you would have the right knowledge about God, but that you would actually believe in him. And by believing, you would have life in his name. That great uh, picture of the good shepherd in chapter 10 says the thief comes to, uh, to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life to the fullest. The true life of a Christian is a life of joy. Right? This is the idea when we talk about imitation. When people look at your life, they should see the Holy Spirit shining through. They should see joy, gentleness, peace, patience. They should see a life that's been transformed by the Spirit of God. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more we should shine the light of Christ as witnesses of his glory. Now, the, the reason why um, John has, has both been a blessing and a challenge to modern thinkers is that sometimes people misunderstand what the idea of belief is. Uh, in, in, in our modern context, sometimes belief is really mere intellectual assent, right? That we believe mentally, we intellectually assent of these ideas that are true. In the Bible, uh, that idea of belief is not there, okay? It's not mere intellectual assent that I believe these facts are true, but I believe with a leaning into a trust in actually changing my life and living my life based on those principles. Uh, so there have been certain heresies that have kind of come up from the Gospel of John called easy believism, right? That all I have to do is believe and I'm saved. How many people do you know in your life who say, I am a Christian, I believe, but you look at their life and you go, what do you believe? You say you believe in Jesus, but the way you're living your life, you're you're not really showing that you believe in Jesus. Well, true belief, believing, would mean that you have life in his name. Life eternally, right, where we will be in God's presence, right? When he comes back, he'll transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies, like we looked at this morning. But we'll actually have life in his name now. Our lives will look different, okay? Now, we all know that that is not an easy process. There are days and seasons when we don't feel we have a lot of life. We feel down and we feel discouraged. 
But this is the process that we are on. Right? We forget what is behind and we press on to hold fast to Christ because Christ has, has taken hold of me. Christ has made me his own. So I want to believe in that. I want to have life in his name. So that's the purpose. So whatever reason people give you why this book was written, it always has this idea of that Jesus is the Christ and that you would believe and have eternal life. That's the purpose of the book. Now, there may be other um, things that we could pull out of this book, other emphasis, but we can't divorce it from the main purpose. The main purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay? So if you're going to uh, mark that in your Bible, if you're one of those folks who like to write in your Bible, I would mark this verse because that's the, the purpose of the book of John. So if you were going to read the Gospel of John, disciple someone, and try to teach someone the faith, you would read every verse in the Gospel of John with that in the back of your mind. This verse was written, chapter 1, which we just read, verses 1 through 18, was, was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you would have life in his name. Okay? Now let's go back to chapter 1. Let's go back to chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, may be the, um, the, the most shocking verses in the Scriptures, uh, in the New Testament. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, when you hear that, in the beginning, what do you think? All right, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word here being referring to Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the eternal um, second person of the Trinity. God has chosen to reveal himself in a Trinitarian form, right? So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all distinct, and yet they all make up the, the one triune God. So when people... For example, Jehovah's Witnesses, when they read this verse, they'll look at the, um, the article, right? So in, they say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They don't look at the Word being uh, a, a definitive article, okay? They don't think that Jesus Christ is God. They, they lower him. They say that he was created by God. Well, the Scripture says Jesus Christ was not created. He is eternally God. I have met people, even in this church, who have thought that Jesus Christ came into existence when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. Well, Jesus Christ did not, was not existed as a baby born in Bethlehem. He added humanity onto his already God nature. So he has this dual nature. He was eternally God, and when he became a, a baby in Bethlehem, he took on humanity. So now Jesus Christ has both is fully, fully God and fully man. Now, that might be hard for us to, to process, but we have to have both. Because if we lose his humanity, then he didn't die as a man, and he didn't die for us, and we're still in our sins. And yet if he's not God, he has sin. Okay? But he is God. He rose from the dead and gave uh, us hope for eternal, eternal life. Oh, my sweet girl. Um, it's always, you know, when you're, when you're a pastor, you love to teach. And then all of a sudden you see your little daughter walking towards you. Sometimes it's hard to be focused. Um, but this is a great opening, right? Right there at the beginning, what do you see? Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Jesus Christ is the creator God, right? So when it says in the beginning, God did what? 
created. Well, who is that God who created? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that from here. We know the same thing from Hebrews 1, Colossians 1. Jesus Christ is the creator God. So the first uh, 18 verses is the, is the introduction. This grand who Jesus Christ is. Kind of this uh, introduction of this whole entire book. Wonderful verses there. Verse 12. But all who did receive him, he believed, who believed in his name. That idea of belief. He gave the right to become children of God. They were born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Right there you have the incarnation. You have this God who is eternal, became a man to dwell among us. He is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. The reason why we can always have comfort, no matter how bad our day is, is because we know that Jesus Christ is always with us. Well, how do we know that? It's because Christ came to be with us. And when he died and rose again, we learn from chapter 14 to 16, the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at here in a second. He sent his Holy Spirit to to bring his presence literally to us every single moment of our lives. So let's just kind of look at this book in in a broad scale, and then we're going to kind of look at just a few verses in our time together. So the the book of John really can be broken down in two main parts. Uh, The two main parts is you have the book of the signs and the book of exaltation. So if you're going to look at this book, okay, how do I teach this book? You have the book of the signs and the book of exaltation. So from John chapter 1, verse 19, all the way to the end of chapter 12, that would be the book of signs. Now remember in, in... in John 20, 30, and it says that these are these signs. So there's a lot of signs, a lot of signs that Jesus Christ did, but these signs were written so that you may believe. There's only there's specifically seven signs that we see here in uh, the book of John. Let's walk through them re- really briefly and sh- try to see their significance. John chapter 2. Jesus' first sign or miracle is Jesus changing water to wine. Let's read this account. John 2, 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars. Therefore, Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some water, some out, and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted, the water now became wine. And they did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then they pour, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and at Galilee, in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. So right there, this is the first sign of what you see happen. He manifested his glory. He's showing that he is the Messiah. So when we read that, we, we know that that sign was specifically given so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, And by believing in him, being the Christ, you would have life in his name. 
The very next uh, scene, we see another sign, John 2, verse 13, the clearing of the temple. Look at verse 18. Uh, Jesus come in, they're, they're, they're exchanging um, money changers, sitting, taking advantage of people. Jesus came in with his whip, <laughs> yes, knocked over some tables, caused an uproar. And verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? You see that word sign? Okay. I'm not sure if you've noticed that before. When you read the Gospel of John, notice that word. It's very, John uses it very specifically. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, he was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now remember, when we, we looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there was a moment in all the Gospels, right there in the middle, when Peter would say, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And it was only then that Jesus shared his purpose. But he does it right here at the beginning. Why? Well, remember, you have 20 years after those books have been circulated among churches. Everyone probably knows among Asia, especially in Ephesus, they know the Gospel. They know the story. But John is adding this story so that you would know that before he was resurrected from the dead, he already shared it, right? It's the sign of uh, the destroying and the raising of the temple. Uh, the next sign, um, John 4, John 4, 46. The, uh, the, he heals the official's son. He has this hard miracle. Look at verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going down. His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Again, you see this idea of, of sign. So ultimately, there's seven other signs. Just briefly, I'll give them to you. Uh, four, uh, chapter 5, the healing of the lame man. Uh, chapter 6, uh, the feeding of the multitude, where he famously says, I am the bread of life. Uh, the sixth sign, the healing of the blind man. In chapter 9, he's done it to manifest his glory. And then you have this pinnacle sign at the end of that first book is the great sign. It's the, it's the sign of the resurrection uh, when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is the risen messianic son of God. Remember, all these signs specifically are to show that Jesus is the Christ. So the second half of, of the Gospel of John is called the book of exaltation. And it really begins in chapter 13 and goes to chapter 20. Chapter 21 is kind of like an epilogue when he restores uh, the Apostle Peter. And really what it's doing, uh, what John is doing here, is to show this purification that needs to happen among uh, the church. So you see in chapter 13, we see this idea of uh, this is at the Passover, the last, last days of Jesus' life. Uh, you see how Jesus shows what servant leadership is. Right? And he had a great picture. He took off his outer garments. He got down on his feet and he washed his disciples' feet. He was cleansing them. And remember Peter, who always speaks before sometimes he thinks. 
uh, bless his heart, as they say here in the South, right? He, uh, he said, well, wash everything then. Wash my head and wash my, my whole body. He says, all I need to do is wash your feet and you are clean. This is the symbol that the church needs to be cleansed and purified. One of the very next thing he does is, how is the church cleansed and purified? Well, it's done by the Holy Spirit of God. So what do you notice in chapter 14 and chapter 16? Jesus is just sharing about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will come, the comforter, the, the guide, the paraclete, the one who will, who will come and, and, and change your dead hearts and make them clean. In chapter 14, you see that great declaration of how Jesus is the only way. In chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, can I just tell you that that is probably one of the most shocking statements, and that statement will be under attack more and more in our culture. You know, one of the things that is under attack in our day is religious freedom. That we are kind of being pressed more and more uh, of having the right to say what we truly believe. Well, we as Christians believe that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, on your last day you will perish for all eternity, cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only way sinners can be saved is through a Savior, through the cleansing blood that ransoms everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation to God. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And if you don't have the way, the truth, and the life, you have nothing on that day. And that's under attack. Because what is, what is, what is America? America is the age of tolerance, right? Where we have to believe that everyone has the same, uh, every opinion is, is as valuable as everybody else. So we no longer have the right to tell somebody else that you're wrong. Well, listen, if we believe there's truth, you know, I mean, I, in my house, I am the truth, <laughs> right? So if my kids want to do something, I tell them this is what daddy wants. And if they disagree with me, I'm, well, you're wrong, kids. Now, I may be, I may be in the wrong, but I, I have the authority to tell my kids, no, you can't hit your sister. Because we know hitting somebody else is wrong. We just kind of, that's kind of generally wrong. Uh, killing people is wrong. You know? um, we, we know that to be, to be, to be the truth. There, there's, there's things that are right and there's things that are true. Jesus Christ is right and he is true. And it's our job to share that. And that's under attack today. That's just under attack. And what John is doing, John is trying to, ex, to lift up Jesus Christ in the second half of this book saying, do not go away from that. Do not go away that Jesus Christ is the Christ. Believe in him and have life in his name, presently and the life to come. Uh, oh, man, John is so good. This is one of the greatest challenges when you, when you teach a book like this, is that you, you're teaching it and all of a sudden you're like, oh, i got to go back to John chapter 10. i got to talk about the good shepherd. Um, we just don't have time tonight. So chapter 6 is a wonderful meditation. This is probably Jesus' last sermon. Chapter 15, you see he talks about him being the true vine and what's coming. And then chapter 17 wraps up this, this idea of this exaltation in this high priestly prayer where Jesus really prays for unity among his people. In John chapter 19, in kind of end of 18 and 19, you see his, his, his death and his crucifixion. You have different words of Jesus here. 
If you look at all the Gospels, it's interesting that in, in biblical numerology, the number three, the number seven, and the number ten are kind of this whole complete numbers. Uh, do you know how many, how many words, how many sentences or phrases Jesus spoke when he was on the cross? Seven. There's seven statements in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that have this, this, this full picture of uh, perfection when Jesus was dying on the cross. We see his, his resurrection in chapter, chapter 20. Uh, and then we see this in, in John chapter 20, verse 19. Um, Jesus, who was the, very, the one who was sent, he was sent from God. So this idea that the, the sent one from God, that remember, he was with God in the beginning, and he was sent, he was, he, he, he was clothed in flesh and dwelt among us. Look at verse 19. Uh, one of his resurrection appearances. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, uh, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with me. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and they said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Right there you see this great commission. We have the great commission in Matthew, the commission in Mark, the commission in Luke, and even here, as the Father, Jesus says, has sent me, I now send you. Our job every single week is to go out into the world as witnesses for the Lord Christ. You know, I tried to kind of allude to it this morning, is that we want to help people know Jesus. Now, if we know that Jesus Christ made me his own, but he came in to my dark world with the gospel and opened my eyes. He rescued me. Well, listen, God is sending you to help rescue others. The people that God put next to you in your neighborhood... God put there so that you would help them see the gospel of the Lord Christ. He sent you there. He sent you to your jobs. He sent you to your college campus. He sent you to your home with your children so that you could help them see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We are sent as Christ was sent. Just a few other things I, I want to I get to. I know we're kind of short on time, but there are seven I am statements, right? That, again, that number, that seven, that complete number of, of seven I am statements in, in the Gospel of, of John. Um, I'm just going to walk through these. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Remember this idea. They're in the wilderness, right? They don't have food. Thinking back to when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they didn't have food. And what happened? Bread came down from heaven. And Jesus says, I am that bread. Feed on me. And right here at the end of this passage, he says, if anyone who does not eat of my flesh or drink of my blood cannot be my disciples. Well, beloved, what we did this morning is we, we lived out that gospel. We ate of the bread. We ate of the, the fruit of the vine, right? A picture of his body and his blood saying that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because we believe that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. John eight twelve. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. This is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is the salvation that is foreshadowed when the, by the lamps of the feast. Light and life are, are so intertwined in John's Gospel. Jesus is the light of life. He is the fulfillment of the, of the, one, of the promise of the coming of the Spirit of God. John chapter 10. This, this, the great discourse of the Good Shepherd. Um, like the Davidic King in Psalm 23. John 10:7 And again Jesus said to them Truly truly I say to you I am the door of the sheep In verse 11 I am the good shepherd So in contrast to the to the bad shepherds of the Pharisees Jesus is saying I am the good shepherd How, how much comfort have we gotten from that psalm The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. The reason why you will never want is because Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd came and laid down his life for the sheep. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's interesting. Every time you see these I am statements, right after that, there's another sentence that we tend to forget. We always remember the I am statements of Jesus, but right after, it's our response based on that truth. Even you see it here. She says, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, it's our job to believe in him. Whoever so believes, whoever so has Christ, walks in the light. John 14, 6, which you already mentioned, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then John 15, 1. John 15, 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But listen, we can do everything. Why? Because we are connected to Christ. Christ is the vine, and we are connected, grafted into him, so we can bear much fruit, because the Spirit of God has been sent into our lives. Listen, the, the, the Gospel of John is just so rich with imagery. I could show you how every festival of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, shown clearly in the Gospel of John. The Day of Atonement, fulfilled in Christ. The Feast of the Tabernacles, fulfilled in Christ. The Feast of the Lamps, fulfilled in Christ. Jesus Christ is this great fulfillment. Well, it all starts because God saw our need and he sent us a Savior. And our job is to receive him, is to believe in him, to believe that he is the Christ. And by believing that we may have life in his name. 
Wouldn't it be great if people saw our lives and they would see the abundant life that God promises? They would see joy in a home. They'd see children who are obedient. Right? They would see the, the, the Spirit of God working and purifying the hearts of His people as a radiant reflection of His glory. God manifested those signs in, uh, in the Gospel of John so that you may believe. And God has now given you and me as signs to the world. He has manifested His glory in us by saving us by the power of His Spirit so that we would be a living reflection of the God who saves, that we would manifest His glory to the world. And we do that by abiding in our Savior, by trusting in Him, simply by believing in His name, by believing in His name and having life through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this glorious book, God. We thank you so much that you sent the Lord Christ. Uh, you taught us so much in it through and um, in this book of John. We thank you so much for uh, leading the Holy Spirit to have him put it down in paper. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would uh, understand who Christ is, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing that we would have life in his name. So, God, we pray that the people of Park Baptist Church would have life true and abundant life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.